As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterville slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself and no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Madrid, Munich, Milan. We talk big cities back on top. Plus, Europe's fastest goal ever, Papu as a rolling stone, and big problems at Lil Old Lil. All that, plus all the rest of the continental news in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and welcome to the show. It's the 22nd of December, Christmas around the corner, but our continental content continues with our bunch of contributors. Uh, they are James Horncastle. Hello, James. Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And yes, Julian Laurence. Bonjour. Oui. Voila. Uh, everybody good? Yeah, all Excellent. good, James. Excellent. I mean... Uh, Nothing to complain about. Life is life is brilliant. It's never been better. I think when the history books are written about this period, it'll be that they never had it so good. I mean, they it's never just, had. Uh, well, possibly from the from a future perspective. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I tell you who is enjoying life at the moment. That is teams from Madrid, Munich, and Milan, the big metropoli of football. Back on top, no Munich on top in the Bundesliga. The two Milanese sides, number one and two in Serie A. It's the same in Madrid. Hey, Alvaro. It is, and uh, I don't know if this Atletico and Real Madrid, they are up uh, to giving the level they gave in 2014 and 2016 when they reached the Champions League final, but I think the title race is going to be between them both. OK, let's get your moments of the weekend. Jules! It has to be uh, Presnel Kimpembe's last-ditch tackle against Lille at the end of the Lille PhD game, clash of the top of the table, it was nil-nil. It's been quite cagey, to be fair, although PhD were dominated and could have won that game but it's nearly nearly a counter-attack for Lille the 4v1 Kimpembe who's Superman he's on his own he pulls his hamstring and you could see you could see because the, the, the stride of his run changes and yet even with that he still manages to put, put out one of the most incredible tackles you would ever seen to block Burak Hilmaz stop the counter-attack and avoiding clearly PhD to consider goal or at least to consider big chance. So well done, Presnel. I mean, he got himself injured, of course, because he pulled his hamstring. So he'll be out for, I guess, three weeks. But it's a very Merry Christmas, Presnel. Joy All right. What, what do you think, guys? Greatest tackle ever made? Is that going to be up Surely. there in the, the Tackle Hall of Fame? Raf? Hardly. What? It was amazing. He hasn't seen yeah, it, that's why. Come on, you have, have seen it. But you also have to consider the the game and the importance of the tackle. Come on. Surely they were more important. I know, in the 90, 85th minute. 
Nah. Yeah. Takes out three guys with I'd, one leg. Well, I can think of the one from Jerome Boateng, the goal line clearance year in 2016. Is is that a tackle though? I'm thinking of yeah, that's, that's a goal a line clearance. 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 Yeah, that's not okay, a tackle. okay, fair enough, fair enough. Let's move on from tackles. I think Kimpembe's right up there myself. Alvaro, what's your moment of the weekend? Well, it could be Unai Emery's Villarreal um, being unbeaten for 17 games in a row or Raul de Tomás in the Spanish second division scoring from the halfway line. But it has to be Lionel Messi equaling Pelé's record of 643 goals with the same club. Right. And a weird way to do it, no, by missing a penalty. Yes, he did. Uh, the good thing is that uh, there was over there a, a teammate to fight for the ball again, and Lionel Messi scored with a header. Uh, mm. And I believe that this is the first uh, goal Messi has scored with his head in three years as well. So it was quite a, an unusual goal for Lionel Messi, yes. All right. Is Messi real? Because uh, we keep seeing this. Like, he scores exactly the same goal as Maradona did for, was it Newell's Old Boys? Like, carbon copy. Hmm. Uh, what days after his death, and then he celebrates in exactly the same way as that iconic photo of Pele uh, <laughs> from Brazil. He feels like a glitch in the Matrix still. Um, you know, I think the the next thing that's going to happen in 2020 is um, I don't know. Someone goes in for a tackle, and we see he's like a Terminator kind of style, but beneath the skin there is some kind of. Rafa, help James out here. <laughs> Follow up on that. Yeah, I mean, when he scored his uh, first ever goal. Uh, he scored that first ever goal a minute after he got cancelled, an identical goal. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember that against Albacete in 2005. That was impressive as well. So he scored basically the same goal twice, and one of them was not cancelled. Glitch in the matrix. Right. Uh, Rafa, your moment of the weekend. Fairly unoriginal, but it has to be Robert Lewandowski last minute uh, strike. Comes off a deflection of Jonathan Tarr, but it is the goal that wins the game for Bayern at Leverkusen in the last minute. Is the goal that puts Bayern top of the table heading into the Christmas break. So mm. the classic Bayern denouement of, of a game where they perhaps shouldn't have won, but somehow did. All right. I thought we were going to say Marcus Turam. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah, Marcus Turam. You know. Yeah, that wasn't very nice. We'll, we'll come on to that later on. But James, you're. Moment of the weekend. Well, I, I've already been. I, I think you must have missed it because it was what? it was so quick. It was it was like yeah. Rafael Lau's goal ah. of the weekend, six point seven <laughs> seconds, the fastest in six. the history of Serie A. Not only that, James, but according to Gazetta today, the fastest in any of the top five leagues ever, and they've got the numbers to prove it. Six point seven six for Rafael Liao. in La Liga. Do you know what the fastest is in La Liga? Do I have to guess? Or I think it was Joseba Llorente in 2008. You are absolutely right, Alvaro. Yeah? You're through All to the there. next round. Uh, 7.22 seconds. Uh, in the Premier League... You just Googled that. That's why. Okay, oh, what about Liga? You can see him George. reading his laptop. <laughs> anyway, Liga, Jules. I'll tell you. This is taking too long. Is still Graham Ricks? Hang on, I'm going to Google it like, like Alvaro. <laughs> Look, would you, can I tell you? Yeah, it's go on, tell me. eight seconds, Michel Rio. Michel Rio, of course, in Graham Ricks' team. Paris Ball and Bread. No, I don't think so. Rafa, the fastest in the Bundesliga. You tell me. Two of them. Kevin Volland and yeah. uh, Karin, uh, who's this? Uh, Demirbay. No, Bellarabi. Oh, Karin Bellarabi, yeah. Yeah, in 2014. Uh, Kevin Volland in uh, 20, looks like this is very small print, but it's nine seconds anyway. Premier League, Shane Long for Saints against Watford. In Did he take longer than everyone else? or? <laughs> <laughs> brilliant that's a pretty vintage set of moments of the weekend uh, let's start getting a little bit more in depth on some of those stories next the totally football show european editions moment of the weekend brought to you by paddy power defenses may be looking shaky at the moment but paddy's offers are rock solid if one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down get a free bet Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. So, the Bundesliga, Rafa, Bayern Munich on top of the table at Christmas after that mighty win away at Bayern Leverkusen. It was Leverkusen's first defeat of the season. It was, what, the seventh straight time that Bayern had gone behind in a game and they haven't lost any of them, winning this one with a brace from Lewandowski after... Uh, Patrick Schick's fantastic opener. 
Beautiful goal from Patrick Schick. And as you said, this has been a bit of a pattern for Bayern this season. Seven times they started and found themselves 1-0 down um, early on, you know, halfway through this this half as it happened. And I think it's an, it's been a bit of a hallmark of their season, really. This is not a coincidence. Bayern have looked pretty sluggish, pretty tired. The game's not really working defensively and, and attacking-wise. And... Leverkusen actually played really well. They disrupted Bayern. Bayern had no sense of rhythm. They really missed their uh, usual midfielders, uh, Goretzka and Kimmich. Kimmich at least came on and made a difference in the second half. But uh, Bayern kind of just through sheer willpower and and you know mentality, bad goalkeeping, and bad goalkeeping and defensive mistakes from Leverkusen managed to to find a way to win this game. But you could see just how spent a force they were at the end of this year um, against Wolfsburg in midweek it had been a similar story they just they barely won the game but for the opposition it's pretty demoralizing if a Bayern team with injuries with tiredness with all these issues still managed to beat the two teams that were unbeaten until a week ago in Wolfsburg and Leverkusen and find themselves once again top. Mm, Lewandowski's second coming in the 93rd minute of the game that gives him 47 goals in 44 matches in 2020 and also picking up as you probably saw last Thursday the FIFA men's player of the year the best award uh, uh, Manuel Neuer also picked up uh, the best award as well w- what was the reaction though Rafa to Hansi Flick not getting the best manager award yeah I mean as you'd expect there were some people saying it it was unfair what, what else could he have won he looked a little bit more upset than I thought he would. Uh, it, it seemed to matter to him perhaps more than people anticipated. But at the same time, I think there are legitimate arguments to be made why as an individual coaching accomplishment, perhaps leading Liverpool to the first title in 30 years is slightly bigger than than yet another treble for Bayern. Uh, which Biographer of Klopp backs Klopp in a ward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm surprised you um, say that though, Ruff. I like I, Flick as well and I like, you know, I it's not as if I um don't like Bayern. Um but look the vote between the two of them was tied mm. and it came to the amount of votes from the captains um of the national teams, I think. Okay. And perhaps it was ex- to be expected that they went for Liverpool and Klopp with a slightly more international footprint than, than Bayern. Rafa, the game at the weekend, meantime, beating Bayer Leverkusen, is that one of those significant results in the title race? Is, is this where Bayern take command again? Well, the manner of the win felt, felt ominous and felt significant. But in, in points terms, it isn't actually that important yet. They've only played 13 games heading into this break, which is fewer than, than usual, much fewer than usual. And they're only two points ahead of Leverkusen and Leipzig. So, yes, it looks as Bayern, you know, sort of are in control, but they also don't look invincible this year and they've dropped enough points to suggest that maybe they can be beaten this year. Rafa, what's going on with Leroy Sané meantime? Brought on and then brought back off again in this clash with Leverkusen by Hansi Flick. Yeah, which of course was was one of the main talking points. It's not something you you see at Bayern very often. Players come off, of course, when they're injured. But uh, he was uh, taken off for sporting reasons with Hansi Flick making the point that this was not designed to punish the player or to make sort of a, a big point about his perhaps uh, lack of application. But because he felt that Musiala, uh, Jamal Musiala was a better option and he didn't want to take off Thomas Müller, who he, he felt was irreplaceable, and Serge Gnabry, who he felt was improving in the second half. But, you know, I've written about this in The Athletic today, and the problem is, in many ways, even if you take Flick's statement at face value, it is still pretty bad, because it basically says that Sané is not irreplaceable. It says that Gnabry is more dependent and more trustworthy, and it says that a 17-year-old like Jamal Muziala in Flick's opinion, will have more of an impact for Bayern when they needed a goal than, than Leroy Sané, who'd only come on 30 minutes earlier himself as a sub. So it shows you his position in the team, which is pretty low down sort of the order of importance. 
But what was interesting at the same time was that you saw players trying sort of to help him and support him and, and Thomas Muller coming out with some very um, uplifting statements, if you will, saying that he should use it as motivation, that he believed that uh, Leroy was, was close to sort of making it and that he wasn't worried about him at all. So I think within the club, within the team, there's still enough support for him. They don't see him as an outcast. But of course, Flick making such a move was always going to increase the speculation and uh, and increase the focus on him. And he has been, compared to the transfer fee that he's been bought for and some of the expectations, he has been slightly underwhelming. I don't think there's any any two ways about that. Thomas Muller should give him one of those comedy nicknames, no? To cheer him up a bit. Insane. Yeah. Jules. Surely it's deeper than that, Raf, right? Surely the attitude maybe at training, there must be something else than just he hasn't really worked out for him so far. Is there any sort of stories that you've heard where the problem is actually deeper than just who who did Flick could take off or not take off in that game? No, nothing about training. Um, again, nothing from the players themselves. He has a lot of friends in the team who, who really like him and who really wanted him to come. So I think there's still support from him for him. But Flick himself has repeatedly said in the past that he feels he doesn't work hard enough, doesn't do enough uh, in terms of the pressing, doesn't track back enough. There were you know, incidents in the game against uh, uh, Leipzig where he kind of gave up at the halfway line and then Bayern conceded goals and he's just miles away. It's these little moments that uh, make it difficult for Flick to, to trust him, especially when you compare him to Kingsley Coman, who's been at such a fantastically consistent high level in all respects he sets the benchmark at the moment and Sonny looks well short of that benchmark um, if you're looking for a for a sort of a um, a deeper agenda if you will there is perhaps something in the fact that Flick was never 100% convinced that Sané was the best buy for Bayern. He was agitating for Timo Werner for a long time. There was even sort of a disagreement between him and Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director, over that. But I don't think Flick is the kind of guy who would now use that sort of for political reasons to show that he was right all along. I think he, he generally feels that Sané needs to do better. There is something about a perception here because... Sané doesn't look like a guy who's trying very hard and, you know, can look a little bit lazy and a little bit sort of uninvolved and perhaps also lacks a bit of confidence after his lengthy injury. When you actually look at the numbers um, and the amount of pressing actions and so on, they aren't that bad. So I think there's something, a bit of a stereotype here being created that he needs to now break through to just being a bit more involved. Well... That notwithstanding, Bayern are back on top. Uh, more Bundesliga chat to come, as we'll hear what happened to Borussia Dortmund under their new manager and get the latest on that Marcus Turam shameful episode. Up next, Milan, darling. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Panatoni Sprint, that's the headline on Monday's Gazzetta della Sport, hailing the two Milanese sides, Milan and Inter, who are now top two in Serie A, just one point apart after Inter's 2-1 victory over Spezia and Milan's record-breaking win at Sassuolo. Quest'oggi ecco il fischio dell'arbitro e seguiamo in diretta questo primo tentativo da parte della formazione ospite con Leao il tiro al gol. Dopo il lancio di Cialanoglu sono passati pochissimi secondi e il Milan è già in vantaggio. Wow, what was that? Was that Speedy Leao uh, getting his his goal? I mean, 
it was one of those you blink and you miss it or as often happens when you're a fan going to a game or a journalist reporting on a game um, you turn up uh, you get in your seat and you find out that there's already been a goal I mean it was that quick um, beating what Paolo Poggi's record from 20 odd years ago um, when he was playing for Piacenza against uh, Fiorentina was it 8.8.2 .8 I think was Poggi's record um, but the, I, what I found interesting, actually, at the, at the end of the game was Stefano Pioli afterwards saying, uh, yeah, we have four schemes that we use from kickoff. Uh, this is one of them. So it was a, it was something that they'd worked on in training and executed uh, really well. And it kind of reminded of the talent that Leao has. Um, Leao's had had moments where he's looked like he's 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 about to really catch fire as a, as a, a potential superstar. He was... You know the kind of new strategy that we've seen at Milan over the last two years, where they've they've prioritised signing um, talented young players with high upside. He's the most expensive one of them that they they signed from Lille, um, and I think what was really um, statement like, not in only in the goal but in in this win, was that uh, once again uh, Milan were without Zlatan, uh, they were without uh, Ante Rebic. Uh, Ismail Benacer, Simon Kier. So the entire spine of the team, uh, they lost Tenali at halftime as well to injury. Uh, and yet for the first 35, 40 minutes, they played really well. It's the second youngest team that they played uh, this season and they, they keep getting younger, Milan. I mean, it was, uh, I think, average age of 22. Um, uh, Teo Hernandez again. I mean, this was one of the themes that the Italian press picked up on on, on Monday. These these two former Real Madrid fullbacks who are who are, uh, having potentially transformative effects on, on their teams. I mean, I think Teo more so than Hakimi uh, with Inter, although Hakimi had a had a big weekend uh, in blue and black. Um, but uh, to see Milan kind of overcoming uh, all of the problems that they've had and pulling out a win when they've drawn their last couple of games, I think they were unlucky not to beat uh, a poor Parma side um, the other weekend when they hit the woodwork four times and had the had one goal disallowed. But it was big for them because Inter are coming. Inter have won six straight. Um, and yet this win keeps Milan top going into this big game against Lazio in midweek. Mm. Yeah, Lazio who lie eighth. But they are only three points off the top four themselves after a mighty victory over Napoli, who have hit a bad run of form. 2-0 it was at the Stadio Olimpico. Ciro Mobile once again. Uh, opening the scoring, that's now 12 goals in his last 13 appearances in all competitions. Lazio, with this victory, ending a, a pretty uh, poor run of results themselves. Napoli announcing a retiro, because it's that time of year, <laughs> isn't it? It went so well last time. Uh, it was, what, last November, I think, when they went into retiro after the Salzburg uh, game and uh, the players mutinied. That's, that's still in dispute, actually. I mean... Um, we might get to at some stage talking about players who are on the move uh, in January. One of them will be Arkadius Milik, the uh, Napoli striker who's hasn't played at all this year uh, after not signing a new contract and then not moving um, in the summer. Um, there's, there's some disputes that need resolving between him and the club. One uh, is about this this fine that uh, the club levied against the players uh, for the mutiny uh, that we were talking about, which kind of accelerated the end of Carlo Ancelotti's time at the club uh, and the other was uh, going to advertise a restaurant for a mate I think in Poland uh, and you have to inform Napoli of those sort of things because they uh, they control everyone's image rights but yeah they're going to Retiro which I think is a little bit of a, uh, an overreaction um, really um, I th yeah it's, it comes on the back of a week in which they've lost to, to Inter and, uh, and Lazio um, but in the intergame, they played well. Insigne then lost his head, got sent off. This game, okay, they didn't really show up. They, they were poor. Um, but, you know, on the whole, I think given Napoli without Dries Mertens at the moment, without uh, Osimen, who's who won't be back until after the new year after dislocating his shoulder, it does seem to be... Um, it seems typical of Napoli at the, uh, uh, over the last year, really, to, to take this kind of decision. As you say, Lancio, who beat them at the weekend, uh, taking on Milan... In what could be a very significant game on Wednesday. Tuesday, we'll see Juve up against Fiorentina in one of the classic grudge rivalries, which uh, is a, a kind of both ends of the table kind of clash this time around, given how Fiorentina's form has been going. We'll, we'll talk more about Juventus later, because next up, we've got a hot date with Paris. 
Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker, from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Paris, Jules, it's you. You're on. Yeah. Big game this weekend, Lille against Paris Saint-Germain. And there was little to talk about, really. Nil-nil in this one. Uh, The point enough to put Lille back on top. Paris Saint-Germain stay down in third place. Jules, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, they had no Neymar who was out injured. Mbappé uh, was not fit enough to start, so he only played the last uh, 15 minutes on his birthday. He was 22 on on Sunday night. Um, and but, but I thought it was interesting in the sense that it was a KG game, so it was very tactical. I don't think Lille took too many risks. Usually, it's a very attacking-minded team. I think they wanted to be a bit more cautious on, on Sunday night, and, and you would understand why. And, and PSG without Neymar and Mbappé is obviously a very different team. Uh, but they showed a lot of collective strength, I thought, in that game. They dominated. They had a lot of the ball. They created some decent chances. Moise Kane could have had a goal maybe. Angel Di Maria played better than he had in the last few weeks. And, and Tuchel said on, on Saturday that maybe the fact that he's out of contract in the summer and, and yet the negotiation with PSG and Leonardo around a new deal haven't come through yet. Maybe that's why it's bothering him. That's why he was not really at his level in the last few games. But he played well, I thought, on Sunday night. But we've moaned all season about this this lack of collective unity of that team and that the, the fact that they don't really play together. And yet, when they don't have the individual brilliance of Neymar and Mbappe, there's something missing as well, which is really strange. But they had that collective strength, but not the individual brilliance of Mbappe and Neymar, and they missed that as well. In the end, it was a draw. I think a draw that keeps Thomas Tuchel in his place for now, at least. They will have a big meeting in the during the winter break after the the, the last game of, of the year in uh, next week, well, in midweek, sorry, uh, and and then they will see what they do with him. But a defeat, I think, would have been the end of him. Now, because they they they, they could have won the game quite easily, and they didn't lose it, I think he might have a chance to finish the season. Jules, their record in big games, at least in Liga, is surprising this year, given what everyone's kind of perception of Liga is, um, given that we saw the, the draw against Lille at the weekend, they lost to Lyon and Marseille at home. They lost to Monaco in the second half. I mean, in three of those games, they haven't even scored. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very unusual for, for, for super dominant PSG in, in, in what people think is a farmer's league, which, but as we're seeing, is much more competitive and difficult than people give it credit for. Yeah, no, you're right. It's, as we mentioned last in, in last week's show, after the Lyon defeat, first time that Lyon win at the Parc des Princes in, in 14 years. Marseille was the first time in 11 years that they won at the Parc des Princes. So it's a, it's been a very disappointing season in those kind of games. And the fact that they're still very much, you know, they're just one point behind Lyon and Lille uh, and slightly ahead of Marseille who have two games in hand, despite losing those games or drawing at Lille, it's still... Shows that in the rest of the game they've been pretty good, but yeah, it's it's very strange that in that mini league, if you want, of that top four, they they're way below everybody else, you know. So it's, it makes for a very interesting second half of the season. Yeah, it's extraordinarily tight. Three teams, just one point separating them. However, how much of a second half of the season are, are Lille, for example, going to have chores? Uh, did you sit out asking, uh, could you elaborate a bit more on the issues Lille are facing? Are they going to be forced to sell players in the next window? Yeah, so the, the club has changed ownership uh, on Friday night, where Gerard Lopez, the, uh, the, the former owner, had to sell his share, sell the, sell the club technically, to a, an investment fund from, from Luxembourg, really close to Elliot, who... who I've loaned money to, or loaned money to Gerard Lopez before to buy the club. So Elliot, although they don't own the club as such like they do with Milan, they still very much own the club because they own the the, the loan and the money that uh, Lille have been bought with. And they basically didn't believe that Gerard Lopez could uh, reimburse the money that he borrowed. 
and and the debts and all of that so they forced him to sell the, he sold to someone who's really close to them who's really close to JP Morgan who uh, not so long ago also put some money in Alil so between friends uh, it changed hands uh, Christophe Galtier on Sunday night was really happy in the way his, his own players and his own team uh, the Lille manager stayed focused on the game and didn't let everything that's happening around the club disturbing them bothering them we know that Luis Campos will leave the club as well the sporting director the um, highly praised sporting director because he was linked to Gerard Lopez not to Lille so he's there on the market for any club who's looking for a very uh, clever and well-connected um Sporting director, director of football, scout, whatever, and his team. Uh, Mark Ingla, uh, who is like the, the CEO pretty much, is staying on the board, but not, not as a CEO anymore. We've got a new president in Olivier Letton, the former PSG sporting director. So a lot of changes off the field, but on, on the field, let's hope that that doesn't have a, a negative influence on them. Because well, this is a club that you, you mentioned, James, uh, Victor Ozerman going to Napoli, Pepe recently left and Gabriel to Arsenal. That the, There have been a lot of names going out the door. If they are in a financial crisis, is that going to be what we'll see in January as well? Yes. Yeah, so apparently they, they will be okay with not selling in January. Okay. Uh, you know, in France, we've got our own financial fair play. Uh, the DNCG, who is very, very strict when it comes down to clubs' accounts, not having debts, etc., etc. Everything has, has to be very controlled and under control. Uh, and for Lille, it seems that they would be happy with the club not selling in Jan, despite the around 60 to 80 million pound debts, and wait for the summer to sell players like, I don't know, Sumare or Renato Sanchez or Icone or Bomba, those kind of players who will bring them a lot of millions of euros. So that would be great because this is a team that has a shot to win the league, for sure. They can also do very well in the Europa League, I think, even if they have a, a tough uh, next round against Ajax. But I think they can still go find that competition too. They've got a great manager in Christophe Galtier. So they've got great assets. And if you break them down in January, it would be a real shame. So let's hope that they can keep everybody together, at least until the summer, have a great second half of the season, maybe win the league, win domestic cup maybe maybe go find the Europa League and then you know that some of the big clubs will come and get their best players which is the business model anyway but mm. apparently they should be okay for January which is great news okay but Leon a level with them at the top of the table after their 4-1 win victory at Nice Leon looking the more likely team of the two to 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 end PSG's reign would you say Memphis oh. Depay yeah, I mean, if he stays, because he might go in January, he's only six months away from finishing his contract at mm. Lyon. If they want a bit of money, it's in January. They will be ready to accept between 5 and 10 million euros anyway. We know that Barcelona and Ronald Koeman were really keen in the summer. I'm not sure if it's still the case. And Memphis earns almost half a million uh, in wages every month. So that's a lot as well for, for Lyon. So I think he might go in Jan, although I think it would be crazy to let him go. I think you could sacrifice that money for six months more and win the league because, as you said, they're very capable of winning the league. They they have no European competition, unlike PSG and Lille, at least for now. Uh, they have a really good squad. Rudy Garcia suddenly I looked, I looks like he knows what he's doing, which was not the case for you know for most of the time since he arrived at Lyon and for most of his career, to be honest. Uh, oh, Jules! Come on, League and you Cup know, double winner. He gave you, he gave one you one good season at Roma, and then he became such a clueless good again. Good season though, and then he beat Man City, knocked them out of the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come on, Pep Guardiola knocked himself out of the Champions League. Um, Love you, Rudy. Uh, and and Rudy can do it. Imagine if Rudy was doing it. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many years after he did it with Lille, mm. but we'll do it with Lyon against this pitch, it would be great. So let, let's see. But uh, they certainly have something going forward. That front three, the KTM, I would call it, uh, Kadewere, uh, Toko Ekambi, and then, and then the M for Memphis. It's pretty spectacular when they can play on the counter. It's a bit more difficult when they have the ball. When on the counter, they're wonderful. And then Memphis... Has that swag, hasn't he? He's such, he's got so much swagger, and we saw that on the penalty he scored. Yeah, he scored an outrageous Panenka, outrageous because it wasn't just straight over the keeper. He kind of Panenka'd it to the top right corner. Yeah, I think he aimed. That, that was the aim. He aimed at the top corner. You know, usually yeah. you do it in the middle of the goal because mm -hmm. the keeper is going to dive one way or the other. But no, he he pushed the swag so far that he actually aimed for the top corner in a Panenka. So just imagine the. 
the, tra- the trajectory of the ball to right. go into the top corner is, is incredible. And I don't care people who say that's a lack of respect. You shouldn't be doing this. I don't care. You score the way you want. And that was brilliant. If you can't do it, the lack of respect is not doing it. Very true, the, my friend. Uh, that, that's what I think because the fans yeah. are also want to be entertained. That, that's what I think when every time they criticize Neymar for all those dribbling and all that. I mean, maybe it's a lack of respect not to be able to do that after yeah, exactly. 20 years of training. Fans want to be entertained, but are they still going to be able to watch Liga on TV, Jules? Yes, they will, James, but obviously that has been a big scandal uh, back home. Media Pro, who bought the rights for the next four years, uh, created a channel for, to show it. They had eight games in Liga and nine games in Ligue 2. Uh, I've stopped their channel. They've decided that they didn't want to pay the amount that they, they got the rights for because of the pandemic, because of different reasons, I think. Uh, they hadn't paid the, the, the last two installments, the two payments for the clubs, 170 million in October, 150 million in December. And the league said that we can't continue like this. So they decided to stop the contract with Media Pro. Media Pro will disappear in France, putting a lot of people without a job, which is also a, a big scandal. And then the league will have a new um, rights appeal, or whatever you call it in English, you know, to, for another channel to win the rights or buy the rights. And they will have, they will find someone else, whether it's Canal Plus or Bein Sport or RMC. Someone else will, will go there. Maybe all three of them. The worst thing is that the clubs who've already been impacted massively, like every, everywhere else, but even more maybe in France, because uh, we didn't restart last season, will, will be impacted even more financially by by this uh, incident. So it's a it's a real shame. Wow. So other other matches on air at the moment. So yeah, they're on air on 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 Telefoot, the Media Pro uh, channel, until until this midweek, when we'll have the the last games of the year, and then they will they will uh, they will go bust, and then for the start of January when Ligue 1 re- restart and comes back, then there should be someone else. Oh, it's not should. There will be someone else. They will sell the rights in between now and the start of January uh, to whoever offers the most, I guess, and it will be on an, on another channel in January. Wow, fingers crossed, eh, Jules. Next up, let's ask Alvaro what's up in La Liga. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Bel Atlético de Madrid, marco el pistolero, Luis Suarez. Alvaro, what's up in La Liga? Many things, yes. many things. Uh, to start with, uh, Atletico de Madrid is still topping the table. Real Madrid is chasing them. And uh, you can see the table now. And uh, the truth is that uh, there are some disadjustments uh, in the sense that uh, Barcelona has a game in hand. Atletico de Madrid has two. So if they all win what they've got left to, to play, Atletico will be topping the table with six points uh, over Real Madrid. But still, as I said in the intro, I think that uh, it's looking like uh, this season we have a a two-horse title race. And at the minute, Atletico de Madrid looks phenomenal. Uh, They have recovered from losing against Real Madrid a couple of weeks ago. And uh, a week ago, sorry. Would you say they look phenomenal against Elche? Uh, they look phenomenal in general, uh, and I've got really? some stats to prove it. Yeah, I mean, from the numbers, Elche, point they look of... phenomenal. They were phenomenal against Elche. From Simeone's point of view, that is a phenomenal display. Okay, mm. what do you think? Uh, I do believe that uh, numbers-wise, Atlético de Madrid they are closer than ever to put up a, a good uh, title fight. I tell you why? Uh, because this season they have scored mm, 24 goals in 12 games. They have conceded only five. Last season, they scored only 51 goals. That is a, a much lower ratio. Two seasons ago, they scored 55 goals. So that is the reason why they didn't put a, a fight until the end. Because they, they weren't conceding many goals, but at the same time, they weren't able to n- inflict heavy defeats to anybody. So they, win, they weren't winning easy, which is what defines good teams. And this season, if they continue with this 
let's say, rhythm, they project 76 goals scored, 16 conceded, and those numbers are very similar to the numbers that they hit in 2014 when they won the title. So mm -hmm. I think that this Atletico de Madrid means perhaps uh, more than it looked at the beginning of the season because they are still uh, keeping the defensive, uh, the defensive um, ability that they always had, but also they are scoring, they are bagging many goals. All right. Well, 3-1. Uh, was the result against Elche this weekend. Uh, Real Madrid also with a 3-1 victory. That was away at Abar. The Abar goal was the pick of, of this lot. Uh, what a screamer from Kike Garcia. Yeah, Kike Garcia, he, he has been so important for Abar. Uh, he's their main scorer this season. But the truth is that uh, the game started so well for Real Madrid that Kike Garcia's goal was kind of a surprise in a way because uh, in the first 20 minutes, Real Madrid was... Uh, phenomenal. Uh, Luka Modric uh, ran the show all together with Tony Cross and uh, full praise for Luka Modric this time because he, his contract expires in about six months and uh, he's uh, making all the merits basically to, to get an, a contract extension again for uh, one year or two. And then uh, Karim Benzema uh, scored the first goal for Real Madrid. Uh, he has done so many times this season and his contribution is uh, majestic for Real Madrid. I mean, uh, this calendar year he has scored 22 goals and he has scored the 29% of Real Madrid goals since Zinedine Zidane came back, which is uh, a bigger percentage than Cristiano Ronaldo ever scored for Zinedine Zidane. Of course, this is a lower score in Real Madrid, but the goals of Benzema matter in this Real Madrid. I noticed Zidane saying afterwards that Benzema, who's now got uh, 10 goals in 11 games against Eibar, is the greatest French striker ever. Jules, does that sound right to you? It sounds like a right debate, for sure. I mean, it's him or, or Thierry Henry, to be honest. Mm. Some people say Jean-Pierre Papin, who in his, in his time was, was obviously very very excellent. David Tredegen maybe has a shout too, but or Nicolas Anelka, but I think it's between Henry and, and Benzema. It depends, again, if you look at what one did with the national team, the other didn't, but the other one obviously was much better in terms of trophies at club level. So it's a very, very interesting one. I... Uh, I don't know. I think Karim Benzema, who, by the way, is 33 yesterday. Um, that kind of age, doing what he does, is absolutely incredible, I think. And he deserves so much credit. I think uh, this was a long time coming, I think, for, for Benzema, who was always an exceptional talent. But for some reasons, maybe one that is called Ronaldo, didn't really get the, the praise that he deserved before. I don't know. But certainly it's a big debate. I still think that maybe Thierry edges it slightly, although some days I think that Karim is the best ever because he can do so many things that Thierry could not do. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a very interesting one. It, mm. it doesn't help either that uh, basically a year after he arrived at Real Madrid, Jose Mourinho said that Karim Benzema was like a cat. A and uh, cat, he yeah. said, if I have to go hunting with my cat, I'll do it. Basically meaning that uh, Karim Benzema didn't have the, the aggression or aggressivity or whatever it's called to, to go for the goals. Yeah, not the first time that Mourinho has been wrong. Salah, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, yeah. <laughs> On Real Madrid very quickly, uh, yesterday there was the ordinary uh, general assembly for Real Madrid and the president admitted that uh, the club uh, had 107 million, 107 million uh, income less than expected and uh, he confirmed as well that the, the players and... Uh, not only in football, but in basketball as well, they had to cut their salaries at 10%. Uh, so basically, Real Madrid doesn't have the depth that Barcelona has. No way. In fact, last season they had a little bit of a revenue. But still, their finances are a bit compromising. And maybe that's why he, he was talking about it. And uh, the Super League uh, concept was floating in the atmosphere, if that makes sense. He didn't refer to the Super League exactly, but he said that the football needs a new format. Uh, to make it more competitive, more exciting, and that Real Madrid cannot delay that reform from happening because it must happen. Wow. Okay. Imagine that their friends at Barcelona are probably in a hurry for something like that as well. We've seen them uh, uh, lending their support in the, in the past. The Barcelona with a 2-2 draw at Valencia this weekend. You mentioned uh, Lionel Messi equaling Pele's record of most goals for one club, 643 uh, with that header. There was an outstanding uh, volley from uh, Ronald Araujo, uh, which is well worth checking out. But I, I see that afterwards, uh, Ronald Koeman accused, or at least he's reported to have accused, Ricky Putsch of leaking information from the locker room. I don't know how we know this. 
actually. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's tricky. That's tricky. Who has leaked that? That, uh, that will be the question. But uh, the thing is that Ronald Koeman has, has still many friends in Barcelona because he played for the club, obviously. And uh, I don't know how interesting and uh, benefiting would be for Ricky to leak something like that. But the thing is that Ronald Koeman has found probably the weakest link, a player with no mm, real uh, experience in the team, a very easy target, if, if you may. Uh, and he's a very small person that you can show the power against, your power against. So I don't know if this is nice from Ronald Koeman, really. The truth is that Ronald Koeman told Ricky that uh, he wanted him out on loan. Ricky Putz said, I'm staying at Barcelona because I, I believe that I can uh, succeed here. He didn't leave and uh, now he doesn't play much. He doesn't play much, but any time he is on the pitch, he looks like a player who could easily, easily be part of this uh, Barcelona squad. So is Ricky Putz the mole? Is he the one leaking all the stories to the newspapers? Well, this is what Ronald Koeman accused him of uh, in the locker room in front of uh, his teammates. Is he trying to lead a, a putch putch? I was waiting. Now he's going to get the push. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, crikey. There you go. Uh, Barcelona are now fifth, eight points behind Atletico Madrid, who have, as Alvaro mentioned, a game in hand on them. Atletico Madrid are playing this Tuesday against the former leaders, Real Sociedad. Can Sociedad stop their slide, Alvaro? Yes, they did. I mean, uh, they are winless in eight games. I know that they they have found it very difficult to to... To, to cover the absences of Oyarzabal, their best scorer, and David Silva, who has been in the sidelines as well. But I do believe that there is a chance that them both can play against Atletico de Madrid this Tuesday, and that is going to be a booster for Real Sociedad. So, yes, expect a, a difficult game for Atletico de Madrid, and yet I believe that Atletico is more mature and they've got... Uh, also, the conversion rate of the strikers is much better, and this is so important uh, because uh, Real Sociedad creates as many goal opportunities. Uh, we saw that against Napoli, for example, but they struggle to score goals. Will David Silva be back for this one? Uh, it looks like he could be back, potentially, okay. yes. Let's say, I mean, in the newspapers, he would say that he's doubtful, I see. like Oyarzabal is for this game, but he might feature, yeah. Okay, next up, uh, we'll head back to the Bundesliga to catch up on a few more of the key stories ahead of the winter break. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The BVB, that's in the spitze. Mokoko, Tor, Tor, Mokoko, Moko, 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 Moko. Rafa, big game this weekend between Union Berlin and Borussia Dortmund, uh, with all sorts of talking points. Uh, the youngest goal scorer ever in the Bundesliga, the ongoing success of Union Berlin. And the fact that Borussia Dortmund's problems don't seem to have gone away with Lucien Favre. All of these things are true, James. Um, Dortmund crashed to their first defeat in the Edin Terzic era. Uh, the second game of the interim coach um, didn't go according to plan when they went to Berlin and, and lost to Union. Uh, again, in a fashion that had become a bit of a trademark for this Dortmund side, conceding from, from corners, conceding silly goals. And afterwards, Mats Hummels, a very angry Mats Hummels, called out his own players for lack of defensive focus without naming them. But he was really talking about Emre Can and Giorena, who both lost their markers for goal one and two, respectively. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that Yusufa Mukoko scored his first goal in the, in the Bundesliga was, of course, a, a nice a memento, if you will. But the defeat weighs heavily on this Dortmund side because... They've slipped out of the Champions League places. They are increasingly worried that they will miss what is the absolute bare minimum target for the season to finish in the Champions League spots. And of course, it doesn't make it easier for them to pretend, or if you will, to, to hope that Terzic will be fine until the end of the season. Um, so the pressure on the board to maybe you know think of alternatives if this doesn't work out is is going to be increasing and they have to hope that on Tuesday when they play against Braunschweig in the cup which is a major target for for this club probably the most realistic title they can win if they were to get knocked out there we'd be looking at a real real disquiet and unhappy christmas they lie 8 points off Bayern now after that defeat 
Uh, meantime, Union Berlin doing fantastically. They're above them in the table. They're up in sixth place, which is pretty phenomenal stuff, no? It is phenomenal stuff, and it's come without their talismanic striker, of course, uh, Max Kuse out injured. So for Union Berlin not just to play good stuff, but also to do it without the man that, uh, as the narrative went, had transformed their football, was uh, was hugely impressive. And Urs Fischer, I think, can rightly claim to have overseen the, the, the most stellar work in 2020, not just saving Union Berlin from a drop and everybody at the beginning of, of last season felt that they would go straight down, but now taking them all the way to the to the fringes of the Europa League places and maybe even more. So, yeah, an incredible story and made all the more uh, remarkable by the fact that their neighbours, uh, Hertha, are, uh, are down at the other end of the table after a 4-1 defeat at Freiburg. Um, and they're looking very nervously over the shoulder, thinking that they might get, actually get sucked into a relegation battle. Crikey. Crikey. Other big talking points this weekend included... RB Leipzig, who had a goalless draw with Cologne, confirming that they will be welcoming Dominic Zoboslai uh, from the similarly named RB Salzburg to their ranks come January. Schalke are now 29 Bundesliga games without a win and have had their second sacking of the season, Rafa. Yes, um, Manuel Baum didn't last very long, um, didn't manage to win any games since taking over from David Wagner. And Schalke, as they often do in their most pressing moment of desperation, is to activate the Hoop Stevens protocol. It's now the fourth time that their best love manager in recent history has come back to stabilize the ship, but only until the end of the year. So he's not expected to be hanging around to be hanging around for too much longer and now the question is what will Schalke do uh, when it comes to appointing the next one next one in line mm. uh, Alex Zorniger the former um, Stuttgart coach is in contention there to take over but with four points from 13 games it looks very very bleak in Gelsenkirchen fourth time he's been back there does that remind you of anybody James well, it's funny you should say that because uh, Davide Balladini, as we've been on air, has been confirmed as Genoa's new manager for the fourth time. Fourth time. One of those things. Yeah, three certainties in life, death, taxes, and Balladini somehow coming back to save Genoa right. from And a fourth certainty, he'll be fired the following November. Because he, he's <laughs> yeah. kept them up each time and then they always get rid of him. Poor yeah, chap. it's madness. I mean, they they got rid of him even though even when he he got Piontek on that incredible hot mm. streak, um, just to bring it back round to Hertha. Yeah, there is a question for us in social media about who is an equivalent of Sam Allardyce in uh, Serie A, Liga, La Liga, Bundesliga. I don't know if that man can be. Who Davide Balladini? He's quite club specific though. He doesn't really have that oh, same okay. rep of kind of Mister Wolfing it up and down, uh, you know, or down <laughs> solving the, the problems. Mm, yeah. Anyway, so Rafa, well, there you go. That was Schalke. But the, the other big story from this weekend in the Bundesliga was uh, Hoffenheim's 2-1 win away at Borussia Mönchengladbach, which featured a very regrettable scene involving uh, Marcus Turam. Yes, James. He spat into the face of his opponent, Stefan Posch. And of course, he apologised and the club apologised on his behalf. And I think he will face a very lengthy ban, uh, maybe up to eight weeks even. It's never the nicest of things to happen, but of course, in, in Corona times, it's uh, particularly unpleasant and, and, uh, and horrible, really, inexcusable. And I think the DFL or the DFB are going to come down pretty hard on him. Right. It's, uh, it's not something he, he's shown much signs of before this kind of behavior, Marcus Turam. Uh, no, not to my knowledge. He's been, he's been very well behaved in, in Germany, one of the you know, fairest, uh, fairest strikers really, hardly ever picking up any any suspensions or anything like that. So very out of character. I don't know what what really happened to him. Um, there's not even a suggestion that Posh said anything to provoke uh, that reaction, at least I haven't seen any being mentioned. So he just lost his head. Right. Although uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge coming up with an original take on, on the situation. Oh, no, let's not. Post-care. Please not. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. It's All too right, then. cringe. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, Hoffenheim taking the victory with a stoppage time winner, courtesy of Ryan Sessignon. 
who's there on loan from Spurs. Rafa, uh, the Bundesliga shuts up shop now until the 2nd of January. Anything else we should know, uh, you know, to tide us over for the long, long dark days ahead? Uh, no. No? I think we covered it all. If there's anything else you want to know, James, you're always welcome to tune into the Starcast pod, of course, where me and Christoph Beermann will chew the fat, as it were, and go into a bit more depth. And, of course, there's your excellent articles available on The Athletic. Well, uh, there are one or two more stories we can wrap up from City A uh, this weekend and ahead of the midweek round, and we'll do that next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. City A then, everybody, very tight at the top with Milan and Inter, just a point apart. Juve are in the mix there. Looks like being a kind of classic old school top three between those three clubs. And then you've got another group, five teams separated by only three points, battling for the lost Champions League place, as it looks at the moment. Roma, Napoli, Sassuolo, Atalanta and Lazio. Atalanta who turned those frowns upside down this weekend with a whopping 4-1 victory over Roma. And what was interesting about this, uh, James, or one of the things, was that it didn't involve Papu Gomez. Well, they're becoming used to that. I mean, he wasn't uh, in the starting eleven for the Juventus game in midweek. He was pictured uh, smiling, laughing with uh, Paolo Dybala. Uh, and then also kind of singing along to the Juventus mm. anthem, um, which uh, raised a few eyebrows. And then he came on and actually contributed to them getting back into that uh, into that game. Atalanta played well second half, as they did in the second half against Roma. They came back from behind. Um, Checo had put the Giallarossi in front. Spinazzola hit the hit the post. And then Gasparini went to his bench at halftime, brought on Josip Ilicic, uh, brought on Luis Muriel. And uh, Muriel scored, as he so often does from the bench. But I think the, the main takeaway from this game was it felt like for the first time since March, Josip Ilicic was well and truly back. Ilicic with a couple of assists and got a beautifully kind of balletic uh, goal, dribbling through the Roma defence to, to put the game uh, beyond them. Uh, and it was interesting after the game, you know, I mean, Duven Zapata was, was asked, this was a, a big win post-Papu. And he was quite confrontational. It's like, what do you mean post-Papu? Papu's here. Papu's our captain. Um, but uh, the club put out a statement on the eve of that game saying that uh, uh, they were backing the manager and that uh, Papu uh, was definitively uh, out of the squad. Um, you know, what precipitated that? Uh, we don't really know. Was it, for example, uh, him, you know, miming along to the Juventus anthem? Was it uh, a meeting with his agent uh, and asking about... Uh, you know, what's, what's best for Papu's future and what kind of an exit strategy uh, can they decide on? Um, but, you know, I think both Atlanta and Lazio did the top three a big favour um, this uh, this weekend because uh, I would say that Milan, Inter and Juve now are in fuga, as they say. They're, they're escaping the rest of the pack. And uh, it, it looks very old school, James. It looks looks like the, the, the big three on the podium... Uh, and in contention for the title, really, for the first time, I would say since since 2000, well, I mean, not even 2011, because that was between Milan and Juve. I think to, to go back for a three three horse race, you probably have to go back to 04, 05, 05 or six, something like that. So mm. it's, it's interesting. The old order is reestablished. Yeah, indeed. So uh, it's a shame about Papu Gomez, though, and all that that Atalanta fairy tale—a little bit unraveling. He was such a kind of key component of their of their uh, of their success. Peter Jones asks, uh, if Papu Gomez leaves Atalanta, what's a likely destination? Well, his preference is, is apparently to stay in Italy and stay in Lombardy, um, you know, where Bedgamo is. So. Monza. <laughs> that would be amazing. Balotelli, Boateng, Papu. Um, but uh, no, I think uh, Milan or or Inter now, from what I can gather, you know, Milan, uh, yeah, it has to be an exceptional player for them to break their kind of, uh, uh, their policy on signing young players. Um, yeah, Zlatan in that regard is is considered a freak um, who's, who's worth doing it. And Zlatan was quote unquote free um, as well. So, 
I can't see I can't see that happening. Um, Inter, it's it feels like classic Inter, you know, just like a, a year on from signing someone who plays in exactly the same position um, as as Papu for twenty million. Even though you know, a few days after signing him, he would have been available to sign for free ahead of the summer. I'm talking about Ericsson, of course. Um, they go into the market and end up spending. Uh, more money on a guy who I think is is is, is almost thirty three. Um, now you know I, I rate Papu really highly, but I think um, this is another reason why some some clubs would be cautious. I think including including Milan is is that uh, is that outside of uh, that uh, wonderful Isola Felice as they they call it in in Bergamo, away from Gasparini's tactics and his kind of unique playing structure. Players at Atlanta tend not to do as well away from from Atlanta as they did with them. So, um, yeah, if, <laughs> in that regard, Inter Inter probably wouldn't really uh, care all that much about that. Um, but I'd have some reservations about whether he'd be a, a good fit mm. um, for Inter. I don't I don't see I don't see Papu going to the Premier League. Um, he did have a massive offer from from Saudi Arabia back in in the summer, which he. He turned down and uh, signed a new deal with the club. So, you know, unless one of those clubs comes back in for him, but, you know, I think the reason Papu turned that down wasn't only because of his affection and loyalty to Atalanta, it was because at his age he wants to play for a contender, he wants to play for a team in the Champions League. Hmm. Juventus, who had that one-word draw with Atalanta last week, have Fiorentina coming up on Tuesday and they are fresh from a 4-0 win at Parma, which adds a little bit more fuel to the notion that things are coming together under Andrea Pirlo, as long as he can keep Morata and Ronaldo fit anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think McKenney and, and Ramsey keep them fit uh, mm. too because um, I was kind of scratching my head uh, uh, writing a piece this week about, you know, sort of players who've kind of stood out um, who not a lot was expected of. Um, and... Um, yeah, McKenny, I think is, is is certainly one of them. I mean, signing him, it took everybody by surprise. You know, even the kind of transfer guru reporters like uh, Di Matteo and Fabrizio Romano, that you know, that it was very, it felt very uh, last minute that that uh, they were taken taken aback by it. Um, and he's been brilliant in terms of uh, just knitting this team together uh, offensively. But I, I think this was. This was the most convincing domestic performance that Juventus have put in. You know, it's it's to put alongside the the, the performance against Barcelona in the Camp Nou as, as being the kind of best appeal so far. Um, and you know, we have to see if they can do it uh, against better uh, domestic opposition. Um, I'm not going to count Fiorentina as that because Fiorentina have been dreadful, played uh, way below expectation um, so far this season. Find themselves what down in 16th place without a win in eight games, even though they've brought Cesare Prandelli back to the club. But, you know, we need to see what uh, this unbeaten Juventus side in, in Serie A um, does when they face face Inter, face Milan, actually face Napoli, um, whose who's appeal for that uh, 3-0 defeat that the Sporting Tribunal gave them for not showing up for their game against Juventus back in, what, September time. Um, their final appeal, I think, is due to be heard today. Um, so, but yeah, I think Juventus were brilliant um, uh, in that Palmer game. So, yeah, things coming together for them just as we about to head into the into the winter break. Mm, okay, there is a quick question here uh, from Richard Richard saying, "What has happened to Fiorentina this season?" I say a quick question; it could be anything. But are they in a relegation battle? Well, they were in a relegation battle uh, the season before last, surprisingly, uh, when it went down to the final day and they played out that nil-nil draw uh, with with Genoa. Um, Fiorentina should not be in the position that they are in now. If you look at their uh, their wage bill, uh, I think it's seventh um, in, in the league and there's a big drop-off between them and everybody else and that includes the likes of Atalanta and Sassuolo who continue to punch above their weight. I think with with Fiorentina, it's it's related to the situation that they have up front with the strikers. They've got three very talented young kids up there, um, Vlajevic, Kwame and um, Cutrone. I don't know why they ended up bringing Cutrone back to Italy from Wolves. They don't need him. They need, in my opinion, an experienced um, centre-forward who can take the pressure off those strikers, who's got a guaranteed record of scoring goals in, in this league. Um yeah, call it the Zlatan effect that we've seen at Milan, where you bring in a guy who just takes, absorbs all the kind of spotlight 
and allows the other people to grow around him. Frank Ribéry can do that to an extent, but he's not a goal scorer. Um, certainly not on a kind of regular enough le- uh, regular enough basis. And he's struggled since coming back from that ankle injury to play three games a week consistently. You can't do that at his age unless you're Zlatan. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, and and they, they 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 find it hard to snap out of this cycle that they're in, where they they inherited Montella. They sack Montella and bring in Yakini supposedly as a stopgap, but then Yakini does okay enough basically for them to basically confirm him for the following season when really no one is truly convinced by Yakini. And then they sack Yakini uh, uh, in what October and can't bring in kind of a, a guy who's going to make a dramatic improvement. So they bring Prandelli back and it feels like they're again in this cycle where they're, they're, they're in a stopgap or holding pattern. Um, and I think until they they get to the summer and be maybe a little bit more decisive and say, you know what, Prandelli, thank you very much. If he's still around, we're going to go for an Ivan Juric. Uh, we're going to go for someone who's more of an up-and-coming manager, more in tune with the trends in, in tactics today. Then they'll probably they'll probably still disappoint. All right. Well, they're only four points above the bottom three, and the situation could, of course, get worse at the hands of Juventus this Tuesday evening. All right, a midweek round then in Syria, and there's action taking place around Europe. So we're going to be reconvening on the 29th for a bit of a roundup of uh, everything that's been happening. Between now and then, there's also a Matthias de Ligt interview, which will be going up on the Athletic on Christmas Day. So look out for that. Ooh, de Lichtful. Nice. And maybe, James, uh, yes. by next Tuesday, we yep. know if Messi is staying at Barcelona or not, because he is giving an interview on the 27th. Is it via Bureaufax? <laughs> not this time. It's been, it's been recorded already, so I'm sure that the editors ah. um, of that interview, they, al- they already know uh, if Messi is going to stay at Barcelona or not, Sh- because that question will be asked, of course. Schrodinger's interview. Crikey. Jules, what, what else will we know come the 29th? We will know who's a French winter champion. Well, that's great. Okay, and Rafa will know what you've got for your holiday gifts. Yeah, that you've received. I know that now. Oh, do you? Excellent. That's great because there's nothing worse than uncertainty when it comes to presents at this time of year. Uh, I hope everybody has a lovely Christmas stroke festive break. And as I say, we'll, we'll get back together again for the 29th. Listener, do join us for that and we can uh, see out the year in style. <laughs> what a year it's been. And we'll have a, a special a Goodbye Totally Football Show European edition then uh, on the 29th. For now, from Jules, James, myself, Alvaro and Rafa, it's... Soyeux Noël. Fröhliche Weihnachten. Bonne Feste. Et Rion. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.